0: Right now, my listeners can give armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, a r m o slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. This episode discusses thoughts of suicide, Please take care before listening. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish Podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. September 4th, 2019 was a beautiful morning in the desert city of Victorville, California. Not unlike most mornings at that time of year, It was a crisp 62 degrees by 8 a.m., and the sun was shining in a near-cloudless blue sky. For most residents in the neighborhood of the 13,000th block of Cabazon Court, it was just another morning, quiet and uneventful. Inside one residence, however, chaos was brewing, and it would soon spill out onto the street, shattering the peace and quiet with screams and gunfire. By 8.35 that morning, 26-year-old Megan McCarthy, a San Bernardino County Sheriff's deputy, would be brutally beaten and shot at with her own gun. And the man who attacked her, 21-year-old Ari Young, would be shot six times by responding deputies. Surprisingly, Ari survived and went on to defend his actions in court. With much of the mayhem caught on video, the incident remained in headlines for years. The disturbing images scrutinized and reviewed on social media and television over and over as tensions between law enforcement and the public rose across the nation. 4 years later, the case finally came to a close. With one of the most hotly debated verdicts in recent history, was there a massive miscarriage of justice or Did the jury see something that others didn't and get the verdict right? In what appeared to be an open and shut case, everyone involved would be reminded that what appears on video isn't always what it seems. This is Jamie and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I walk you through the polarizing case involving Megan McCarthy and Ari Young. This case takes us to the city of Victorville, which is located in Victor Valley, California, within San Bernardino County. It sits on the western edge of the Mojave Desert, about 80 miles north of Los Angeles and 188 miles south of Las Vegas. Located in the high desert, the weather in Victorville is fickle and unlike most areas of Southern California, there are four distinct seasons. In the summer, Temperatures can reach over 100 degrees, and in winter, snow is possible. The city's website boasts about its clean air, spectacular sunsets, mountain vistas, and family recreational activities. However, Victorville is not known for being a safe city. One list has Victorville as the number nine most dangerous city in California, while Niche.com gives the city a C-minus grade due to the violent crime rate being well above the national average. On that sunny morning in 2019, Sheriff's Deputy Megan McCarthy would experience the city's dark side as she ferociously fought for her life. Born on December 8, 1992 in San Diego County, along with her twin sister, Megan McCarthy grew up in the Riverside and San Bernardino County areas of Southern California. She excelled at riding horses from a young age, winning numerous buckles at various rodeo competitions. Riding horses was Megan's passion for over a decade, until she broke her leg in a riding accident in 2009, forcing her to give up what she loved. During her youth, Megan was active in sports like swimming and soccer. She was also part of HOSA, an organization that promotes career opportunities in the health industry by working with teachers and their students. Megan's area of interest at that time was sports therapy. After high school, Megan dabbled with modeling, which gave her some life experience and self-confidence. Later, a strong desire to help people led Megan to go to school for nursing. During this time, A friend of Megan's who was in law enforcement invited her to go on a ride-along. Megan accepted the invitation, and within the first two hours of the ride-along, they became involved in a vehicle pursuit. Needless to say, by the end of the shift, Megan was hooked. Being a cop was exactly what she wanted to do. It was exciting, and she'd have the opportunity to help people. Megan graduated from the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Department Academy in 2016 and began her career as a deputy sheriff. She worked patrol but soon found her calling as a school resource officer, or SRO. As an SRO, Megan was responsible for six elementary schools in Victorville. She worked to build relationships with students, parents, staff, and the community in order to address any challenges that might impact the students. Being the mother of a four-year-old daughter herself, Megan loved this assignment. By this time in her life, Megan had built up a large social media presence with tens of thousands of followers. In early 2019, the father of a 14-year-old boy with autism reached out to Megan from New Jersey He wanted to know if she could help get his son a few police patches for his collection. Megan did more than that. She used her social media connections to amass nearly 300 police, military, and fire department patches, and she had them shipped to the boy. Megan also made it her personal mission to get the SBSD to approve an official Department Autism Awareness uniform patch. She was successful and the department has since made the patch into a challenge coin and a lapel pin, which they sell and donate 100% of the proceeds to the Inland Empire Autism Society. Megan was later awarded the Sheriff's Medal of Meritorious Service for her efforts. The Victor Valley News Group said in an article about Megan on April 13, 2019. It's no surprise to those who know Deputy McCarthy that she goes above and beyond the call of duty, both on and off the clock. Five months later, with her assignment as an SRO complete, Megan was working patrol again. On the morning of September 4th, an hour or so into her shift, an unknown trouble call came out over her radio. Though the location of the call wasn't in her designated area, Megan happened to be close to the address, and she wanted to help. Megan responded to the call, having no idea this decision would change her life forever. At about 8.25 a.m., a 911 call came in to the San Bernardino County Sheriff's dispatch. The woman on the line said, Oh my God, please send somebody. Please, oh my God, send somebody, please. She gave her address as 13154 Cabazon Court and was clearly in some kind of argument with what sounded like a male who could be heard yelling in the background. The situation inside the house was distracting her from answering any other questions from the 911 operator. The call ended with the woman saying, Oh my God, hold on, I... Her words cut off as the line was disconnected. While dispatch was attempting to call the woman back, an unknown problem call was put into the system with a priority one designation and voiced over the radio to all units. Priority one meant the situation required immediate attention and was not just a routine call. A handling unit was assigned and less than 30 seconds later, Megan assigned herself to the call via her in-car computer, known as an MDC. She wasn't the only deputy to self-assign to the call, so there were several units en route to the location. At 8.29 a.m., dispatch let the responding units know that the woman was on the phone again, saying she wanted her son removed from the house, but she wasn't answering any questions. She just kept saying, hold on, hold on, as a male-sounding voice yelled in the background. One of the other responding units got on the radio and informed everyone they'd been to the house twice the day before for calls involving a disturbance between a mother and son and that the son had been code 4. In other words, the son had not caused any problems for deputies during their contact with him the day prior. Megan assumed the same mother and son were involved in the call that she was now responding to. And though she didn't look at all the detailed information available on the MDC as she drove, records indicated that the mother who called the previous day had been Talona Young and her son was 21-year-old Ari Aki Young. Based on the information up to that point, this was a domestic disturbance or domestic violence situation which are some of the most dangerous calls to respond to in all of police work. According to data from the FBI's Law Enforcement Officers Killed and Assaulted, or LEOKA, database, of the 503 officers feloniously killed between 2011 and 2020 nationwide, 43 were killed while responding to domestic disturbance or domestic violence calls which accounts for roughly 8.5% of the total number of officers killed during that time frame. No doubt, this was in the back of every responding deputy's mind as they made their way to Cabazon Court. At about 8.33 a.m., Megan was the first unit to arrive at the home, which was situated at the end of a cul-de-sac. All of the units that day were one-man cars, meaning there was only one deputy per vehicle, so Megan was by herself. Just outside of her vehicle, Megan activated the digital audio recorder on her belt and began walking toward the house. As she approached, the front door flew open and Ari came out, quickly walking down the driveway toward her. He appeared upset and agitated, with his hands balled up into fists at his sides. His mother, who was armed with a kitchen knife, also came out of the house, still on the phone with the 911 operator. Megan met Ari at the bottom of the driveway as she took in the fast-moving situation in front of her. She told Ari to relax several times and asked him what was going on. The young man responded by saying in an annoyed tone, what do you got to do as he got closer to her? Megan told Ari to turn around, to which he responded, You said relax? I opened the fucking door. Megan attempted to put Ari's hands behind his back, but as soon as she touched him, Ari tensed up and tried to pull away from her. A scuffle began as Megan said, Don't and stop it. She tried to put Ari's hands behind his back, and he said, Dude, don't even try it. I will headbutt the fuck out of you. As Megan tried to move his hands, Ari grabbed a hold of her left wrist. She gave him commands to let her go, but they were now physically fighting. She was able to quickly say on her radio, I'm 415, which is the code for a deputy involved in a fight. And the dispatcher repeated that information to all other units. Meanwhile, Megan continued to struggle to free her wrist from Ari's grasp and get control of him. Ari yelled at her, let me explain it. She repeatedly told him to let her go and to get on the ground, but nothing she did worked. Ari kept on struggling with her and said, I don't understand this, I just left, I just left. Megan reached for the baton on her belt, but Ari took it from her and threw it to the ground. He grabbed a hold of her hair, so she tried to punch him then grabbed his hair to try pulling him to the ground. Megan repeatedly said, get on the ground, stop fighting, let go. While Ari said, let me explain it. What did I do wrong? Then Ari began punching Megan in the head and face over and over, never letting go of her wrist. Megan used her free hand to remove her gun from its holster and told Ari, I'm going to shoot you. At this point, a neighbor began recording with his cell phone from the second-story window of the house next door. Though some tree branches obscured parts of the video, the footage showed Ari punching Megan in the face and head repeatedly as she continued to yell, I'm going to shoot you. By this time, they had traveled several feet from the driveway onto a gravel area of the front yard. The last punch caused Megan to collapse and the two of them went down to the ground, landing on the gravel. Megan landed on her back with Ari over the top of her, still firmly holding on to her left wrist. She fired a one-handed gunshot that missed and then there was an intense struggle for her gun. Megan rolled to her left side as Ari grabbed for the gun, using his knee to pin her outstretched arms down into the rocky ground. With both of their hands on the firearm, another gunshot was fired into the rocks and dirt. Then Ari ripped the gun from Megan's grasp and appeared to point it directly at her as he stood up. Megan rose to her knees with one arm outstretched toward Ari and begged, no, please, please. Ari's mother screamed in the background. Oh my God, Aki, no. Then, Ari took a few steps back, seemingly having trouble with the gun. And in that moment, Megan ran away to the right side of the video frame and out of view, which appeared to be in an easterly direction. A split second after she ran out of frame, Ari appeared to fire the gun in the same direction. The fighting lasted for nearly a minute and a half straight. To put that into perspective, A professional boxing round is three minutes long and boxers are not actively fighting the entire time. This was a fiercely intense fight for life that sounded like something out of a movie. After firing the gun, Ari walked out into the street as three sheriff's units rounded the corner and drove toward him. Megan shouted into her radio, he has my gun, he has my gun, to warn the incoming deputies. Unbeknownst to her, that radio traffic never went out over the air. The video then shows Ari walking toward the deputies with his hands up just above his shoulders, still holding the gun. He walked to an area blocked from view by the tree branches, and then another gunshot is heard, presumably from Ari, just before the deputies came to a complete stop. As they exited their vehicles, the deputies yelled at Ari and then fired a loud, intense burst of gunshots. The video ends as the person recording ducks down below the window frame but Megan's belt recorder captured the deputy shouting in the background, drop the gun, get on your stomach. Megan is heard moving, breathing heavily as she went. One of the other deputies asked if she was hit. In a scared and panicked voice, Megan responds, I don't know, I don't know. Another gunshot is heard in the background, and deputies are yelling, get your hands out to your sides. Ari then shouts, It wasn't my fault, I promise. As she moved with another deputy away from the scene, Megan began to cry saying, He had me at gunpoint. Oh my God, oh my God, he had me at gunpoint. Ari was shot a total of six times by responding deputies. He was placed under arrest and transported to the hospital for treatment of his injuries, which were significant but not life-threatening. Ari was charged with attempted murder of a peace officer, assault with a deadly weapon on a peace officer, battery on a peace officer, resisting a peace officer, taking a peace officer's firearm, negligently discharging a firearm, as well as various firearm-related enhancements to these charges. He was ultimately held at West Valley Detention Center in Rancho Cucamonga on $2 million bail and would remain in custody throughout the resulting trial. Megan also suffered non-life-threatening injuries from the physical altercation and was taken to the hospital for evaluation. The holidays can be stressful enough, but Green Chef takes the work out of eating clean this season with nutritionist-approved recipes featuring fresh ingredients, not artificial. There are meals to fit all lifestyles, like quick and easy, protein pack, calorie smart, Mediterranean, keto, gluten-free and plant-based. And if you're anything like me and gotten yourself into a healthy recipe rut, which hindered your health goals this year, give Green Chef a try. Choose from over 80 options that change weekly and feature delicious nutritionist approved recipes. Eating clean doesn't have to mean boring. I've been so impressed with the exciting new flavors in Green Chef recipes that include certified organic fruits and vegetables, sustainably sourced seafood, and unique farm fresh ingredients like tart cherries, truffle zest, and rainbow carrots. Recently, I've gotten more consistent in the gym, and so I wanted to pair a nutritious diet with that routine. But thinking of all the time I'd have to spend meal prepping started to overwhelm me. Thankfully, Green Chef meals are super convenient and easy. Over 35% of their meals can be made in 25 minutes or less, and everything is shipped straight to your door so you can skip the grocery store line. Take the stress out of cooking this holiday season with Green Chef. Go to greenchef.com 60murderish and use code 60murderish to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months with code 60MURDERISH at greenchef.com slash 60MURDERISH. Greenshef the number one meal kit for eating well. Ari Aki-Young was born on January 21st, 1998 in Frederick, Maryland, to Talona Young and Walter Williams. He has two older sisters, one five years older and the other three years older. Court records show that Ari's parents divorced in 2001 when he was only three years old. Talona's parents, Anthony and Cindy Young, helped to raise Ari and his sisters. They shared their home with Talona and the kids throughout most of their lives, forming a tight bond with their grandchildren. In 2005, Anthony and Cindy purchased a house in Hesperia, California, solely for Talona and their three grandchildren. The family lived there until 2012 when Talona moved to Cabazon Court with Ari and the younger of his two sisters. During that time, Talona was in a relationship with a man who was verbally and emotionally abusive toward the children, causing them severe distress. So much so, that Ari attempted suicide when he was only 14 years old. Afterward, according to court records, Ari was placed on an involuntary psychiatric hold. For unknown reasons, Talona stopped allowing her kids to see or contact their grandparents. So Ari and his sister resorted to using their friend's phones to sneak calls to them. The problem persisted. So in October of 2012, Anthony and Cindy filed for court-ordered visitation of their grandkids. By 2014, Ari was struggling. His emotional well-being had declined and he was in danger of not graduating from high school and things were not going well at home either. When Ari was 16, he'd gotten into trouble for something and when he questioned why, Talona's boyfriend began strangling Ari. He only let go after Talona stepped in, but Ari continued to question things. Aggravated, Talona started hitting her son on the head with a bamboo stick, causing injury to Ari's forehead. Ari fled to his bedroom and jumped out of his second story window to run to a neighbor's house where he called his grandparents for help. After being released from the hospital, Ari moved back in with his grandparents. The following October, the court awarded temporary guardianship to Anthony and Cindy for obvious reasons. By all accounts, Ari was a loving and kind young man, even amid all the turmoil in his mother's home. But with his grandparents, he really began to flourish. His attitude at school and his grades improved. Ari came out of his shell and started to become more involved with student activities. He joined the French club and showed an interest in pursuing the aerospace industry. Things were going well for Ari, however, when he was about 17, he began to decline emotionally, even though he was in a loving home. Between 2017 and 2019, Ari became sullen and distant. He lost a lot of weight and his hygiene suffered. His clothing and hair became unkempt and disheveled. And in family photos, he was visibly unhappy and removed. Ari had bouts of violence, where he did things like tear up his grandparents' backyard, all indicative of mental health issues. It was during the height of this decline, after he turned 18, that Ari found himself interacting with his mother again. And ultimately, this was the state that he was in when he met Deputy Megan McCarthy, on the morning of September 4, 2019. After the violent altercation between Deputy McCarthy and Ari Young, the San Bernardino County Sheriff's Specialized Investigations Division Homicide Detail and Crime Scene Investigations Unit responded to Cabazon Court to investigate. They checked the area for witnesses and evidence such as bullet holes and fired cartridge casings, also referred to as FCCs. During their review of the scene, a bullet hole was found toward the top of the garage door at 13175 Cabazon Court, which was three houses to the east of Talona's house, as the houses curve along the cul de sac. About three hours after the shooting took place, the cell phone video taken by the neighbor was seen on social media by an off-duty police officer. He immediately informed SBSD of its existence. It was determined that the video was taken by Esteban Alvarez from the house just east of Talona's home. During an interview with SBSD, Alvarez told investigators that he'd heard a commotion outside, looked out the window, and saw Megan and Ari struggling and pulling at each other's hair. That's when he began recording. At 10.08 that same day, Alvarez posted the video on Twitter with the caption, what the fuck did I just witness? Body cams were not in use by SBSD at the time. However, audio recordings from belt recorders were reviewed and saved as evidence. There was a heavy news media presence at the scene as the investigation was underway. A woman named Fanny Contreras spoke to ABC 7 News on camera about what she saw that morning. She told the reporter she saw Ari take Megan's gun. Then he stood with the gun pointed at Megan while she was on the ground. Fanny said he got the gun and was pointing at her and she was on the ground just waiting, waiting to get killed. She was so lucky. She was lucky this time. Fanny was later interviewed by the homicide detail. The altercation left Megan with bruising to her left eye and cheek, a possible broken orbital bone, a fractured finger, and bruising on her shoulder, back, and buttocks. Ari suffered six gunshot wounds to various parts of his body, including his shoulder, side, buttocks, and arm. The shot to his arm hit with enough force to completely shatter it. On the morning of September 12th, Megan was interviewed by detectives Jerry Moreno and Nicholas Craig. For about two and a half hours, they questioned her about the incident. Megan stated that she'd been in full SBSD uniform that day, driving a marked sheriff's vehicle, working patrol. On her deputy belt, she had her 9mm Glock 17 handgun, three loaded magazines, pepper spray, a taser, baton, double handcuff case, and an audio recorder. When the Priority One unknown trouble call came out, Megan used her MDC to self-assign the call. Then she began driving to the address because she was close by. While en route, another deputy came on the radio to inform everyone that they'd been to that same address twice the day before, regarding a mother and her son, but that the son had been okay during their contact with him. Megan said that she used her MDC to look at some of the call history at the house, but only the first couple of sentences. She didn't have a chance to scroll through all of the information, but from the brief section she read, it seemed the mother had issues with an out-of-control son who was defiant. When she arrived at the house, Megan parked her unit one house away. She said she chose not to wait for backup units to arrive because the woman could be hurt inside the house, needing immediate aid. Megan exited her vehicle, activated her belt recorder, and began walking toward the house. She said two people exited the house as she approached the driveway. One was Ari, who made a beeline toward her. She said he seemed confrontational and upset, his right hand balled into a fist, his arms slightly bent at his sides. Megan said she was unable to completely see Ari's left hand and was unsure if he had an object or weapon. The other person ended up being Ari's mother, Talona. She was talking on the phone with one hand and holding a knife in the other. Megan believed that Talona was on the phone with dispatch because she heard the woman say, they're here, they're here. Talona walked away from Megan to the west side of the driveway with the knife in hand and continued talking on the phone. Megan thought Talona may have armed herself in order to defend against Ari, or maybe she'd taken the knife from Ari during whatever had transpired inside the house. Megan wasn't sure, but said it didn't matter, because she said she wasn't given the opportunity to figure it out because Ari had come directly at her to within about 18 inches of her and squared off, forcing Megan to deal with him immediately. She still couldn't see his left hand clearly and read his body language as that of someone who was looking to fight. Megan said she told Ari to relax and asked him what was going on. Megan attempted to detain him at that point and pat him down for weapons, but Ari immediately tensed up and pulled away from her grasp. Megan told investigators, that's when Ari said, I'm going to headbutt the fuck out of you. Megan took that as a threat and an indication that the young man was not going to be cooperative. She tried to handcuff him, and then the fight was on. Megan remembered Ari telling her, if we fight, I'm going to kill you which further escalated the need for her to get control of him. Megan said she tried everything she could from control holds, punching Ari, using her baton, grabbing his hair, trying to trip him off balance, but nothing worked. She couldn't reach her taser or pepper spray and believed they wouldn't have worked even if she had been able to get them. Megan lost count of how many times Ari punched her in the head and face, but she felt like she was losing consciousness. She was seeing black and knew that she was losing the fight. At that point, Megan feared for her life. She believed Ari was going to knock her unconscious, take her gun or any of her other weapons and kill her. That's when Megan drew her firearm and told Ari she was going to shoot him. She hoped the threat would be enough for him to think about his actions and stop. Then she could hold him at gunpoint until backup units arrived. But that didn't work either. Megan said she had such intense pain to her head she thought it might have been split open. She believed the only option left was to shoot Ari before he killed her. Megan hesitated for several seconds and Ari was able to punch her a few more times before they both fell to the gravel. That's when Megan fired at Ari's head, but missed. After Ari took her gun, Megan got onto her knees and looked up to see him pointing the gun at her head. Megan said she was staring down the barrel of her own gun. She believed that was the end and that Ari was going to execute her. Megan told investigators that she heard a click and saw the gun recoil. She thought she'd been shot and that's when she ran as fast as she could. She said she heard Ari fire the gun again, but she didn't turn around, she just kept running. Megan said she ran east and then directly south to a fenced area between Talona's house and the neighbor's house, where she tried to hide behind some bushes. Once backup units arrived, and she realized that she was in the line of fire, Megan ran east past two houses, and hid behind trash bins at the front of that house until Deputy Nicholas Collis came to check on her. While he was in the hospital, Ari was also interviewed by homicide detectives. However, no documents detailing this interview or any other interview with Ari could be obtained for this podcast. According to Ari's defense attorney, Mr. Rajan Malin, detectives spoke with Ari while he was under anesthesia and not fully coherent. As a result, nothing Ari said could be relied upon or used in court. SBSD records showed that on September 3rd, the day before the shooting, Talona had called the sheriff's department at about 8.15 a.m. to report that she was in an argument with Ari and he was refusing to leave her home. Ari had threatened her with scissors, though the scissors were now in his backpack. Talona told dispatch that Ari was prescribed medications for being hyper, but he wasn't taking them and that she had also kicked Ari out the previous night after a different argument. At about 9.40 a.m., Talona called SBSD to let them know that she didn't need them anymore because Ari had left the house. But by 11.25 a.m., Ari was back, so Talona called for help again. This time... Ari was outside talking to himself and yelling. Talona admitted that Ari did have suspected psychological issues, though he hadn't been diagnosed. That said, Ari's defense team indicated later that Ari did have a mental health-related diagnosis. However, it's unclear what that diagnosis was. Several deputies responded to Talona's house, at which time, she communicated that she did not want her son living there anymore and Ari only wanted to get a suitcase from the house before leaving. Deputies found that no crime had been committed and Ari agreed to leave the area. Deputies also noted that Ari did not meet the criteria to be placed on a psychological hold. In California, the criteria for a 5150 hold is that as a result of a mental health disorder, the person is either a danger to self, a danger to others, or gravely disabled. On the day of the shooting, Deputy Starson Finsel was in the back of the ambulance with Ari as personnel tried to gather information about him. Finsel's belt recording captured the conversation between Ari and an EMT. Finsel knew Ari's full name from memory because he'd been one of the deputies who responded to the house the day before the shooting. He also remembered that Ari had psych-related medical issues and took psych medications, including Zyprexa. According to the Cleveland Clinic, Zyprexa is an antipsychotic medication that can treat several mental health conditions, such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. A crime report dated September 26, written by Detective Nicholas Craig, detailed the shooting and the evidence found at the scene. On page 15, there's a reference to the bullet that Ari fired as Megan ran away from him. The bullet hit the top middle area of a garage door, three houses east of Talona's home. Based on the FCC's collected, the cell phone video, and the hole in the garage door, the report indicated that the estimated trajectory of the bullet was a northeasterly direction from where Ari stood when he fired, the direction of the bullet would become very important during the resulting trial. On October 8th, Megan's firearm was tested by criminalist Christy Bonner at the SBSD Scientific Investigations Division. The lab report indicated that the Glock 17 pistol was examined and test fired and that it fired without malfunction. So you finally started that online business, and boom, your TikTok went viral. The next day, customers are rushing to your store. But do you have a point-of-sale system that you can trust? Or is it, <clears throat> a real POS? Save yourself the trouble, you need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is like your retail store's superhero hub. It does it all, from taking payments, to keeping track of what you've got in stock. With Shopify, you get this mega selling sidekick that seamlessly brings together your in-person and your online sales. You can see every sale you make all in one spot and know exactly what's available to sell. Plus, it's not just about sales. Shopify helps you connect with customers, whether they're standing in line or scrolling online. They've got tools that make it easy to bring people into your store, whether it's through TikTok, Instagram, or wherever your customers are. Get hardware that's built for success. Whether you wanna take payments on your phone, turn your tablet into a sales machine, or roll with Shopify's POS Go Mobile gadget for a tried and true solution, you've got options. And when you need help, Shopify's top-notch support team is right there Winning awards for helping folks like you succeed. Do retail the right way with Shopify. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com/murderish. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com/murderish to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com/murderish. During the several years between Ari's arrest and the start of the trial, there were numerous delays having to do with Ari's mental state being called into question and doctors needing time to evaluate him. Criminal proceedings were completely suspended from October, 2019 until December, 2020. And during that time, Ari decompensated while in custody and was given psychotropic medications involuntarily. Despite his decompensation, on December 3rd of 2020, court found Ari to be mentally competent and proceedings resumed. On March 8th of 2021, Ari pleaded not guilty to all charges. The following year, proceedings were again suspended for several months so Ari's mental state could be reevaluated. During that time, Ari was seen by at least three psychological doctors and he retained Rajan Malin as his defense attorney. Malin had previously worked a notable case involving the McStay family, who went missing in February of 2010. The family of four were found three years later, buried in a California desert. The case made headlines around the country, given that an entire family had vanished. Mr. Malin's client, 62 year old Charles Chase Merritt was found guilty of the quadruple murder in June of 2019, nine years after the family went missing. On July 8th, the court again found Ari Young to be mentally competent and proceedings resumed. At that time, Mr. Moline also changed Ari's plea to all charges from not guilty to not guilty and not guilty by reason of insanity. The trial finally began on April 17th of 2023 with jury selection. By the time the trial commenced, Megan McCarthy was no longer a deputy sheriff, having been retired due to PTSD. By that time, Megan had also made numerous appearances on talk shows and podcasts discussing details of the shooting, though according to Ari's defense team, doing so was against an order of the court. Opening statements began on May 8th of 2023 at the San Bernardino County Superior Courthouse, Victorville District. The state's case led by Deputy DA Kathleen Fultz centered around the cell phone video footage and Megan's legal authority to detain Ari on the day of the shooting. The prosecution believed they had clear and definitive evidence to find Ari guilty on all charges. So much so, they only called five witnesses before resting their case. The DA began by calling Esteban Alvarez, the person who recorded the cell phone video. Next, Megan took the stand for the rest of day one. Before she continued her testimony on day two, defense witness Dr. Peter John White was allowed to testify out of order so he could be excused. Dr. White specialized in pain management and anesthesia. Perhaps his testimony contributed to Judge Miriam Morton finding the statements Ari made to homicide detectives at the hospital to be inadmissible. Once Dr. White was finished, Megan continued her testimony, taking the stand for a total of three days, which included Mr. Moline's fierce cross-examination. Megan testified as to why she detained Ari and everything she did to try to get control of him before shooting him as a last resort. Of special importance was the legal issue of reasonable suspicion to detain Ari. Reasonable suspicion, as defined by the California Commission on Peace Officer Standards and Training, is when a peace officer has enough facts and circumstances present to make it reasonable to suspect that criminal activity has occurred, is occurring, or is about to occur. It's not about what's reasonable to anyone. It's what's reasonable to another officer when presented with the same information. Further, that suspicion may be based on observations, personal training and experience, or information from eyewitnesses, victims, or other officers. In other words, the totality of the circumstances is taken into consideration, including a person's actions or demeanor. Once an officer has legally detained someone, they can take whatever investigative actions are reasonable under the circumstances to determine that person's involvement in a crime. This includes checking the location to determine whether a crime actually occurred. In addition, if an officer has reason to believe the person detained is armed with a weapon or an object that could be used as a weapon, they can conduct a pat-down search of the person's outer clothing. Megan testified that when she was en route to the location of the unknown trouble, she knew that a frantic woman called 911, asking for police to get her son out of the house, that a male was yelling in the background, and the line had been disconnected. In her mind, The woman was potentially in a domestic violence situation and being harmed. Upon arriving at the house, when Ari and Talona came out of the front door and onto the driveway, she saw Talona had a knife and was on the phone with dispatch. Ari was extremely agitated and coming directly at her with his fist clenched. Megan said she was unable to see his left hand and feared he might have a weapon. Talona walked to the west side of the driveway away from Megan. The circumstances up to that point made Megan believe that Talona had possibly armed herself in order to defend against Ari's actions inside the home. It wasn't clear if Talona was hurt, but it appeared to Megan that something happened inside the house. Megan perceived Ari as a threat as he was coming right at her and appeared to want to fight. This was a rapidly evolving situation that required quick decisions. Based on the information available to her at the time, Megan believed a crime had occurred inside the house and that Ari was involved. She attempted to detain him, conduct an investigation, and conduct a pat-down search for weapons. Then a fight ensued. On cross-examination, Ari's defense attorney, Rajan Malin, hammered away at Megan on this point and her description of detaining Ari in order to do an investigation. Meline claimed that Megan illegally detained Ari because she wasn't able to express an exact crime that had been committed. Also, Megan had testified that she didn't know why she was at the location and Mr. Maleen insisted this meant she didn't have any suspicions or facts and thus, no reasonable suspicion to detain Ari. Mr. Moline told the jury that if members of law enforcement do not have a legal reason to detain you, you can resist them. Meaning, you can defend yourself against law enforcement by hitting them, and it's not a crime. So, if Megan did not have reasonable suspicion to detain Ari, it meant that when she put her hands on him, Ari had the right to defend himself against her. And as the fight went on, he was defending himself against her baton and against her gun. He was fighting for his life too. Mr. Moline questioned why Megan did not wait for backup before approaching the house. He insinuated that Megan had preconceived notions about who Ari was based on his mixed race, being a person of color, so she rushed to put hands on him. And this is why she was scared of him, not because he ever intended to harm her. At one point, Mr. Moline asked Megan if she thought that Ari didn't take her seriously because of the fake eyelashes she wore. The cross-examination was so intense that Megan had a panic attack on the stand, but was accused of being dramatic. The courtroom was cleared and a recess was taken so she could recover. Megan resumed testimony and said that when she and Ari were on the ground fighting for control of her gun, she was holding it with her finger in the trigger well and he wrapped his hands over the top of the slide. When the gun went off, as it was pressing into the dirt and gravel, she wasn't sure who pulled the trigger because both of their fingers were inside the trigger well. Ari ripped the gun out of her hands and took a few steps back while pointing it directly at her. Megan said that Ari then pulled the trigger and that she heard a click and saw the gun jerk, but no shot was fired because the gun malfunctioned. Ms. Foltz played the video for the jury in order to point these things out. Megan's gun was equipped with a flashlight attached underneath the barrel. When turned on, it illuminated the area directly in front of the barrel of the gun. The flashlight was turned on during the struggle, right before Ari ripped the gun from Megan's hand. So even though the tree branches obscure the gun when Ari stands up, the flashlight can be seen shining through, allowing viewers to see the gun being pointed directly at Megan. Ms. Foltz also pointed out the jerking motion of the gun in Ari's hands, corroborating Megan's testimony. The next images shown on the video were of Ari manually racking the slide of the gun as Megan ran away and then firing the gun in what appeared to be her direction. It was explained that Ari had to manually pull the slide back in order to clear the malfunction or eject the FCC that was stuck in the chamber. Once he did that, he was able to fire a gunshot. Megan testified that when she ran away, she first ran east just as it appeared on the video, but quickly changed her direction and ran south to hide behind a bush in a small area between Tolona's house and the next house. On cross-examination, Mr. Moline addressed the click that Megan said she heard, he pointed out that there is no click heard on the video or on her belt recording, other than the click as Ari manually racks the slide. He described the different malfunctions a semi-automatic pistol might have, noting that none of them would make a clicking sound when the trigger was pulled. Mr. Malin argued there was no malfunction of the gun at all, which countered Megan's testimony. The only other witnesses called by the state were Deputies Collis and Finsell and Homicide Detective Craig. Deputy Finsel testified about the contact that he'd had with Ari the day before the shooting when he responded to Talona's house after she called SBSD. At that time, Ari was cooperative and answered questions. Deputy Finsel told Ari that if he didn't stay away from his mother's house, He'd be arrested for trespassing. The prosecutor suggested that Ari remembered this when Megan showed up the day of the shooting, and he believed she was there to arrest him, just as Deputy Finsel said would happen. Ms. Foltz claimed that's the reason he attacked Megan. On cross examination, Mr. Moline questioned Deputy Finsel's knowledge about the criteria for a 5150 hold and asserted that he should have placed Ari on a hold the day before the shooting, based on his actions and mental state. If he had, perhaps this whole ordeal could have been avoided. After Deputy Finsel's testimony, the state rested their case on May 17th. The following day, the defense called their first witnesses, SBSD criminalists Christy Bonner and Kurt Garrison. Their main testimony was regarding the trajectory of the bullet that Ari fired as Megan ran away from him, the one that hit the garage door. Being that they were both SBSD employees, it spoke volumes that they were called as defense witnesses and not for the prosecution. Mr. Moline, through the criminalist testimony, drove home the point that Ari fired in a northeasterly direction. Then, he reminded the court of Megan's own testimony that she ran south to hide behind a bush. Mr. Moline made the argument that Ari could not have been trying to shoot Megan if he fired in a different direction. Christy Bonner also testified that Megan's gun fired without malfunction in every test she performed. Christy acknowledged on cross-examination that her testing only measured the gun's performance during the testing, not how it performed on September 4th, 2019. None of the tests she conducted could speak to how the gun functioned the day of the shooting. Christie also explained under cross-examination about anticipated recoil, which is the jerking motion a shooter can make when anticipating the blast from a gun as the trigger is pulled. It was the state's contention that Ari pulled the trigger while aiming the gun at Megan's head, anticipated the recoil, and jerked the gun as seen on the video. On May 23rd, somewhat surprisingly, the state offered Ari a plea bargain, 16 years in state prison in exchange for a guilty plea. Ari rejected the deal, and later that day, the defense successfully argued for the dismissal of one of the two firearm enhancements on counts one and two, attempted murder and assault with a firearm on a peace officer. In both counts, the dismissed enhancements dealt with discharge of a firearm during the commission of a felony. The defense won the argument based on the trajectory testimony. The court ruled there was insufficient evidence. Without being able to argue that Ari fired the gun at Megan, Counts one and two were now only about whether or not the state could prove that Ari aimed the gun at Megan while she was on the ground and pulled the trigger and her murder prevented only by the gun malfunction. The defense called forensic consultant and crime scene reconstructionist Randolph Beasley to testify. Beasley also happened to be a retired SBSD forensic examiner. His opinions about the video and the location of the casings found at the crime scene were used to support the defense's claim that Ari was not trying to shoot Megan and that there was no malfunction of the gun. On cross-examination, Ms. Foltz asked about the jerking motion the gun makes while in Ari's hands as he's pointing it at Megan. Mr. Beasley acknowledged that Ari did make a jerking motion with the gun, and that something was going on there, though it was hard to tell what. It was his opinion that most likely, Ari was trying to clear the gun and was having difficulty. The defense rested their case on May 24, 2023. Closing arguments took place the next day. Ms. Foltz told the jury that Ari was legally detained, therefore, he had no right to resist and no right to self-defense. She said Ari was confrontational from the moment Megan arrived on scene and that he intended to kill Megan, but the gun didn't go off, but that is still intent to kill. Ms. Foltz said the gun malfunction was possibly caused by debris from the dirt and gravel area getting into the gun while it was on the ground, or maybe by Ari having his hand over the top of the gun didn't allow the FCC to eject fully from the weapon. Whatever the reason, the prosecutor said a malfunction happened, and she claimed it can be seen on the video. Ms. Foltz said Megan testified to hearing a click and then saw the jerking motion of the gun. Christy Bonner testified about the anticipated recoil, the jerking of the gun when the trigger is pulled in anticipation of the gun going off. The prosecutor told the jury the anticipated recoil happened only because Ari pulled the trigger and expected the gun to go off, and he pulled the trigger because he intended to kill. The defense used closing arguments to tell the jury there was no legal justification for detaining Ari, which meant he had every right to defend himself against Megan's illegal actions, even hitting her repeatedly and taking her gun. It may have looked very bad on video, but Ari didn't do anything wrong. Mr. Moline reiterated that Megan didn't even know why she was at the location. She detained Ari solely to conduct an investigation without any other articulable facts or suspicions to warrant a detention. That meant everything that happened after Megan touched Ari was not a crime on his part, so he couldn't be found guilty on those counts. Mr. Moline also argued that Ari had no intention of hurting anyone as evidenced by him throwing aside Megan's baton instead of hitting her with it and by shooting the gun in a different direction from where Megan was. Mr. Moline pointed out that Ari obviously punched Megan because she was trying to whack him with her baton, not because he wanted to hurt her. Malin said that what was seen on video was most likely not a malfunction and that there was no clicking sound. He reminded the jury that there was no malfunction of the gun when it was tested by Christy Bonner. He asserted that Ari did not pull the trigger, so there was no attempted murder. In fact, Ari never even pointed the gun at Megan. Mr. Malin told the jury that Megan lied about staring down the barrel of her own gun and lied about hearing a click so nothing else she said could be believed. The only thing Ari did wrong was fire a gunshot into the garage door and a shot into the air when responding units arrived. He was guilty of negligent discharge of a firearm and nothing more. The jury began deliberations the following day on May 26th On May 31st of 2023, after deliberating for three days and asking eight questions of the court during the process, the jury came to a verdict on some of the counts. As to count one, attempted murder. They found Ari Young not guilty. As to count two, assault with a firearm on a peace officer. They found him not guilty. This meant the remaining firearm enhancements on those two counts were stricken. Essentially, the jury found there was not enough evidence to prove that Ari pulled the trigger or that he pointed the gun at Megan. As to count five, discharge of a firearm with gross negligence, Ari was found guilty. After the verdicts, Mr. Moline removed the not guilty by insanity part of Ari's plea. He had successfully defended his client without having to bring Ari's mental diagnosis into play. Megan and the prosecution were completely stunned by the verdicts. The next day, the court found that the jury were deadlocked on the remaining charges and declared a mistrial. Apparently, the jury could not agree as to whether or not Megan had a legal right to detain Ari in the first place, which called into question everything that happened from that point on. On June 28th, the defense filed a motion to dismiss the remaining counts in the interest of justice. Still remaining were count three, felony obstruction or resisting a peace officer, count four, felony removal of a peace officer's firearm, and count six, felony battery on a peace officer. The state filed a motion expressing their strong opposition to the charges being dismissed, but the following month, the court sided with the defense, dismissing the remaining counts against Ari. Some of the circumstances that might lead to such a dismissal include a lack of sufficient evidence, or if the DA can't reasonably proceed with the case, among others. Ari Young, now 25 years old, was released from custody on his own recognizance, pending his sentencing for negligent discharge of a firearm. The stipulations for his release were that he could not violate any laws. He had to live with his grandfather and follow all of his rules. He had to take all medications as prescribed by doctors and seek and continue care under the guidance of a psychiatrist. On October 20th, 2023, Ari was sentenced to the minimum of one year and four months in prison and ordered to pay $300 in restitution. He was credited with time served and not given any probation. With that, he was a free man and the case was closed. Four years after the shooting, Ari has recovered from his injuries, though he will have several long-term issues. According to his defense team, Ari is taking his medications for schizophrenia and doing very well. He's happy, however, he will have lasting mental trauma from being incarcerated for over a 1,000 days. On October 4th of 2023, Ari, along with his mother, Talona, and one of his sisters, filed a civil suit against the County of San Bernardino. Deputy Martinez, Deputy Collis, and Megan McCarthy for an undetermined amount exceeding $25,000. Ari's lawsuit alleges malicious prosecution, false arrest and imprisonment and negligence. Talona and Ari's sister are claiming emotional distress. A documentary is currently being filmed with a crew from TSG Documentary LLC following Mr. Malin and Ari's case in and out of the courtroom. The first media request for TSG was granted on September 5, 2023, prior to Ari's sentencing. It's unclear when or where the documentary will be available for viewing. Megan McCarthy suffered a broken bone at the base of her thumb and a fractured zygomatic arch, which is basically the cheekbone. To this day, Mr. Moline denies that Megan had a fracture to her face. At trial... A doctor testified that he did not see a fracture on September 4th of 2019, but acknowledged that there was intense swelling and the fracture could have been obscured on the films. Megan still deals with pain due to her femoral nerve being trapped in her hip, which can cause problems with walking and requires physical therapy. In March of 2022, Megan was medically retired from SBSD Due to PTSD, she dealt with depression, feelings of guilt, failure, and embarrassment about what happened on Cabazon Court. She faced ridicule for her tactics and losing her weapon. Many people online use the fact that she's a woman as fodder for debate about whether women should even be in law enforcement at all or be allowed to work alone. Megan said in 2021, she contemplated suicide under the weight of it all. Since then, she's become a supporter and voice for mental health, especially among the law enforcement community. She's very active on social media and makes herself available to people who need help finding services. Megan regularly speaks on news programs, podcasts, and at conferences, discussing the shooting and her feelings about being let down by the justice system, her PTSD, and politics as it relates to police work. She supports several nonprofit organizations like the Resiliency Project, which provides peer support and advocacy to first responders suffering from PTSD, depression, and suicidal thoughts. Megan also received an award from Crime Survivors, another nonprofit, during their 20-year celebration gala in November of 2023. From day one, the video footage of what happened on Cabazon Court caused both outrage at the sheer brutality of the attack and debate about police in general in this country. It was immediately the subject of national news. The video was so shocking, many believed a guilty verdict was the obvious conclusion. So when Ari Young was acquitted and the remaining charges dismissed, it created an uproar especially throughout the law enforcement community. It's a debate that has spilled into the California political climate and spurred political candidates to address the current state of crime and punishment in the state. The video footage also dredges up the issue of mental health and how law enforcement should respond if someone is in the middle of a mental health episode or has a history of mental health issues. This case is still being debated today. Did Megan act within her legal rights based on what she observed? And did Ari have malicious intent or harm to kill her? Based solely on what's captured in the video footage, many people have drawn the conclusion that yes, that is exactly what happened. But was there more to the story? Additional context that a video would not necessarily capture? Did Megan act outside of legal limits when she put her hands on Ari? And was Ari potentially experiencing a mental emergency at the time? The case is complex and although it's closed, it is still far from over. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Murderish you may have noticed that my voice sounds a little off. I'm still recovering from being sick a couple weeks ago and my voice is still trying to get there. So I apologize if it sounded off during this episode. I want you to share your thoughts about this controversial case with me on Instagram or TikTok. I met Jamie on air on both platforms. That's J-A-M-I on air. You guys, I'm co-hosting a live meetup on February 24th, 2024 with my good friends, Aaron and Justin, hosts of the Generation Y podcast. The free meetup is taking place in North Hollywood at the Idle Hour Bar on Saturday, February 24th, 2024. Aaron, Justin and I will be there for a casual hangout with friends and fans of our podcast. Mark your calendars for February 24th, 2024 and join us in Los Angeles for a casual and fun evening. Go to murderish.com or Instagram at jamieonair for more event details. I hope to see you there. If you enjoy Murderish, do me the biggest favor and leave a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Make sure you're following me on Instagram and TikTok at jamieonair because I recently started a true crime TV club called Serial Streamers, which is just like a book club. Only it's a club for people who binge true crime documentaries. If you want to join the Serial Streamers TV Club, all you have to do is follow me on Instagram at Jamie on Air and watch for videos about the latest TV series we're watching together. So you can join us in the comments and share your thoughts, your theories, your hot takes, all of it on each series that we're watching together. That's Jamie on Air on Instagram and YouTube. If you want ad-free episodes of Murderish, sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon or at Murderish.com and start enjoying ad-free episodes right away. This episode was researched and written by Gina Mazzolini. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish.